Welcome to A Voice from the Hills. I'm James Warner, co-founder of Silicon Hills Wealth Management here in Austin, Texas. Our guest on today's podcast is Jason Lajita, the founder of Street Cred PR. Jason pivoted from working on Navy Jets to joining a core group of one of the most successful stories in finance, United Capital. Jason learned how to harness the power of media and nurture and build the connections and relationships that you just have to have to provide momentum to your message. But behind all that success was a creeping anxiety. It built with every achievement. Today, Jason is going to share his story, talk about what works in media, and get real about the human toll that our careers can exact on us. If you are struggling to get your business to the next level, or just struggling, period, you won't want to miss Jason Lajita. James Warner is the founding partner of Silicon Hills Wealth Management and the host of A Voice from the Hills podcast. All opinions expressed by James, his co-host, and his guest are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Silicon Hills Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Silicon Hills Wealth Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Hi, Jason, and thank you for joining us. James, how are you? Thanks for having me on. Man, I'm doing great. It's it's great to uh, to be here with you. So I I wanted to start out with an awkward interview in a Westwood. Uh, I don't want to call it broom closet, but it wasn't a it wasn't a huge office. Uh, I, I love that story. Can you share it with us? Sure. So when I started out in the industry, uh, first came out to LA in 2004, and at the time, my wife had a TV producer's job. I didn't have any job. Uh, So I was on my way out to Los Angeles from the Northeast, originally from New York, New Jersey. And we were about four days in to a five-day trip. And she got a call from a friend of hers who worked for a gentleman named Jay, who happened to be the brother-in-law of a guy named Joe. Uh, That Joe happened to be Joe Duran. (laughs) So it was 2004. He was wrapping up a non-compete. He had sold his first business, his first RIA, Centurion capital to GE capital. And he was coming out of the non-compete. He had written a book and he was looking for a right hand, somebody to come in and help him out as he prepared to launch United Capital Financial Advisors. I was fortunate enough to have a connection that got me in the door with Joe, interviewed with him twice. It was a very challenging interview process. I had to take the manuscript of his book I had to go read the entire thing, then come back for a second interview and pass the test. Uh, fortunately, did pass. And that is where United Capital launched was in Westwood, uh, which is a it's where UCLA is. It's in, sure. it's in Los Angeles. And uh, it's, a, it's a little town in Los Angeles, UCLA, and has a little business area. So that's where we began at United Capital. And so anyone who knows Joe Duran's kind of shaking their head because he, he can walk in any room and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm in here with some really, uh, you know, high end energy uh, individuals. And Joe walks in and you're like, oh, well, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. He's an intense guy. And um, I was very fortunate to have gotten an opportunity to work with him. He was he's, he remains a mentor of mine and a good friend to this day. But uh, he was the type of entrepreneur that would give you an opportunity if he saw potential in you. And I got into the office before anyone else showed up. I left long after Joe and everyone else there left. 
that was just my my operating process. I came from the Northeast, so you know, brought that Northeast sort of hardcore New York work ethic and style to the table. He, I think, appreciated that, but he also identified that just because I was working hard and working a lot of hours uh, didn't mean that I had a career path. So he challenged me to find a career path. And again, just very fortunate that he gave me an opportunity and I decided that I wanted to take a shot at marketing between you and I back then. I had no idea what that even meant. I just knew that it involved writing, uh, reading, comprehension, being able to understand the United Capital messaging to advisors and going out and carrying the torch for the brand. So that's what I did. And, you know, he basically said, you can do this for as long as, you know, you're successful at it. Don't screw it up. And uh, I did make many mistakes over the, over my time at United Capital, which was just shy of six years over there. But, um, you know, I learned from them. I learned from them all and swore to myself, I wouldn't repeat those mistakes. And again, you know, having a, a boss like Joe who was willing to let me fail but learn from those mistakes and grow from them was a, a very formative time in my career for sure. Well, and you don't get from a broom closet to Goldman Sachs without uh, doing some things right in the process too, right? Yeah, our office in Westwood was very small, um, but it's interesting. We, we had uh, There were four of us in there initially, myself. Uh, Joe, a guy named Walter Pexon, and Mike Capelli. Uh, Mike actually was at United Capital from the beginning all the way through the sale to Goldman. Um, not long after uh, Gary Roth joined, um, very soon after the that initial office formed. Uh, and we didn't have any room for Gary in the Westwood office. <laughs> so Joe, Joe decided... Uh, I guess in conjunction with the leadership team that we were moving down to Newport beach. So my commute went from about 10 minutes each way to approximately an hour and a half. Yeah, an hour and a half. right? <laughs> so yeah. yeah thanks was, Gary. Yeah. yeah seriously. Um, it was actually interesting. Well, I didn't even think it was Gary who made that call. I think it was uh, Pat, one of Joe's early partners, Pat Bomarito, who was coming on board and wanted to live in orange County. So off we went down. Everybody went down Orange County. I kept commuting. My wife was working in Burbank and we lived in Santa Monica at the time. So to be fair, we started both commuting in opposite directions in LA. And uh, that was, was quite an interesting time uh, in our lives before we had kids just doing the LA traffic grind. Sure. And so you get the media gig and you have to learn how to talk to and persuade media. I mean, how long did it take you before you're able to speak the language and how long did it take you before you understood what that relationship was like, what the vibe of that relationship was like? That's a great question. Um, you know, one that I've actually never gotten before. It's, it's a fascinating question because that sort of goes to the heart of public relations and to be successful over time, what you have to do. Uh, every reporter is different. Every reporter's beat is different. The publication is different. In fact, we have a saying at Street Credit, you can speak to the same reporter on the same day on the same topic at two different times of the day and get two completely different results based on that, on that interview. <laughs> it just depends you know, what's going on in the day of that journalist. Uh, what's on their mind? Did they have lunch? Did they not have lunch? Are they harried with deadlines on something else? Did something come across their desk in the afternoon that wasn't there in the morning? So 
you know, PR, we call it the sports of marketing. And it's, we call it that because you, you know, you don't really know the outcome, you, but you can teach yourself how to play the game. And so that's what I learned early on was this is about storytelling. It's about offering access. It's about offering transparency, a look under the hood. My job was to take this unknown, which was United Capital at the time, and bring us out to the financial advisory media, the wealth management media, and educate them as to what our model was, how we were approaching advisors, what our plans were for growth, all of the things that we were doing and that we were building in real time. And what what fascinates me to this day, there are few folks in the industry that seem to have intuitively gotten that PR can be a very powerful and important tool in their marketing kit from day one. Uh, Joe Duran was one of those people. Uh, from the first acquisition that we did in 2005, we actually announced four acquisitions in one press release. And we're very proud of all four of these. But from that very first transaction, United Capital was playing the PR game. And they did not stop um, all the way through the sale to Goldman. Uh, and I know that for a fact because my current business partner, Jimmy Moak, <laughs> took the PR baton from me back in 2009, and he ran with it uh, all the way up until he walked in the door here in 2021. So, so what's more powerful when it comes to getting media attention? Is it is it the narrative? Is it sheer volume of content? Or is it constant availability, right? Is it is it story or persistence? It's a combination of both. So a lot of people mistakenly believe that PR is just sending out press releases um, again and again and again, just firing out press releases on anything and everything that you're doing. Um, that is, press release is one tactical item among many that comprise a good PR program. You also have to be willing to put byline articles out there, uh, thought leadership pieces, be active in social, um, having a blog helps, being accessible to the press, having an opinion on things that are being written about in the industry, in the financial press at large, consumer media. Um, be accessible, yes, that is, that's a key part of it, but also have information to share with reporters. And when you get an opportunity to get in front of a journalist, be engaged in that opportunity. Don't, don't fear it, um, but don't oversell either. You know, there's, a, there's an adage in sales. People hate to be sold but people love to buy. So when you approach a, a journalist, it's not like you're pushing your messaging down their throat. It's not all about, look at me, look at me, look at how great I am. Talk to the reporter about the origin of the business that you're running. What gets you up in the morning, fired up to work with your clients? What's your approach to client service? What are your values as it pertains to helping shape your clients' financial lives? offer the reporter something of value that they can take to their readers. It's a two-way street. If you go into any reporter engagement thinking they owe you coverage just because you happen to turn up to an interview, there's absolutely sure? wrong. Yeah, it doesn't, no, they don't owe you anything. They've got thousands of advisors that they could speak to at any given point in the day. They have a whole bunch of sources that they already know and trust. Your job is to break through and earn their trust by being accessible and being authentic. And then you, uh, of course, continuously kind of refer to PR like professional sports. I mean, you've got the, 
you've got the countless practice, you've got the study and prep, but there's, of course, no guarantee of results. And I think you did a few years ago something, it was the Ten Commandments of uh, working with reporters. I think it was when you were with uh, FICOM, I guess. I remember reading it. And the three go-tos that I love, you probably remember all 10 of them like, like it was yesterday, but I, I love the location, repetition, and post-game. That's it. Yeah. I mean, because location is so awesome. I mean, because I don't know how many times I've seen somebody really screw up an interview because they didn't take five seconds to get the location right. Even if it was within that same room, even if the lighting was a little off. I mean, the pros, I mean, they, they just look at that and they go, okay, this is not my best. Let's do it this way before they even start. Right. Um, and then how do they, but you also talk about how these relate to kind of that dual, the dual objectives of every interview, which are short-term and long-term, right? Uh, talk, talk back through us on those 10 commandments, which ones are your favorites comment on the ones I mentioned and talk to us about short-term and long-term. Yeah, well, on the, on the Ten Commandments, James, I gotta, I gotta admit it. It's, I'm a little rusty on those. I gotta pull that one out and, and have another look at them. But I will say, yeah, well, I mean, I'm, even even Moses had some trouble after a while. It's fine. There you go. Yeah, you should reread them though. They're very good. <laughs> I go. I'm gonna revisit those. But uh, look, you're correct. You know, when you decide to engage with a reporter, you know, watch your background and and make sure the conditions are right. Uh, treat it seriously because you're out there putting your reputation on the line. You know, PR is about perception. It's about building your own brand and we call it credibility marketing at Street Cred. So if you're putting your credibility on the line, speaking to a reporter, you wanna make sure that you're putting your best foot forward. I've had clients in the past who have tried to do interviews as they're running through the airport, trying to catch a plane. Um, others were driving on the highway in a car and you know, it sounds like they have the top down. <laughs> um, others have are in a crowded restaurant. Um, you know, it's just that is not that is not the proper condition by which to do an interview. It also signals that you know you're you're not carving out the proper time and attention to something very important, which is speaking to a reporter. If you don't have the time for PR, don't engage in public relations. If you're not interested in speaking to journalists or you view it as a hassle, then don't do it. Go do marketing. Go write a blog post. Um, you know, go do content marketing. Totally fine. That's great. It's safe. You control most of it, if not all of it. Uh, in PR, you can only control so much, and then you have to play the game the right way. Uh, short-term, long-term. So short-term, everyone wants the ink. They want the coverage. You want to see that the 30 minutes that you spent speaking with an, a reporter is going to yield something in their publication. Now, again, there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. Uh, they may be speaking to 10 different sources for an article. You may be one of them, uh, and maybe three or four others said some stuff that was a little edgier or more interesting, or they were a bit more transparent than you, or they were more comfortable in the interview and had a better rapport with the journalist. So you might not have made it into that article, and that can be frustrating initially, right? But the long view and the long game on this is you, you're looking down the track and you're saying, okay, when I speak to journalists, so let's 
let's use Diana Britton, managing editor of wealthmanagement.com as an example. Sure, sure. You speak to Diana, you have a perfectly fine chat on a subject that she's writing about, okay? But you don't make it into Diana's article. Now, the initial reaction for somebody who's pretty green at PR might be frustration. Like, I can't believe I wasted that 20 to 30 minutes and speaking with her. How could she not have used me? Um, what did I do wrong? Um, why was I not interesting enough? And these are all natural questions to ask. But what we counsel our clients on is that's not the key, right? We want You're going to get the ink eventually. What we're looking for out of that interaction is did Diana get something of value out of the conversation, even if she didn't put it in the article? Did you establish a connection with her and did you offer her your credibility and did she recognize that and understand how you fit in to the industry and what you might have to offer her, if not now, at some point down the line? And we need that relationship to be right. It needs to be in place and you need to plant the seeds of a future ongoing relationship. So maybe you didn't get the ink that you're looking for in the piece that she's publishing this week, James. But guess what? If you had a good interaction with her, you can keep that relationship going. You've established already a foundation of trust and credibility. Now, she's also, by the way, writing articles every single week, as is her entire team. So there are going to be plenty of opportunities to get another at bat and have another opportunity to go and engage with Diana and wealth management. So the second interview comes around. Oh, guess what? Maybe you didn't get ink that time either in an article. Wow. Now, you know, now the sky's falling. Like, what is going on? I can't, you know, no, I can't, it's personal. You know, <laughs> right. You're right. Yeah. So, you know, there's again this tendency to think like something's wrong because I didn't I didn't turn up in the piece. But third time, maybe she's writing a, a feature story on a topic that is right in your wheelhouse. She gives a call either to us, to you. We say, let's go. You do an interview. And then not only do you get a, like a quote in the story, you might get a good chunk of that story for you and your firm. So, you know, that's the game. That is the, that is what PR is all about. And the, you know, the underlining point here is you have to enjoy this. You have to want to engage. You have to want to get out on the field and play. And to your point, to our point about calling this sports, that's the entire point, right? You go out, you step out on the court, on the field, whatever sport it is that you're playing and you have prepared going into that, you can play your best game and you can still lose. And in our world, losing would mean you just don't turn up in the piece. Okay. So what did you learn from that? We help you to understand how you can improve. We communicate with the journalist and the publication. What can you do better next time? If anything, maybe they say it was a great interview, but we just didn't have room in the article because my editor cut something out or whatever. Okay. Step back out on the field the next time. And you don't just quit when you don't get the result you want. That's the whole point. You got to keep at it. That's kind of where that. That's kind of where that post game comes in, right? Because yeah. I mean, it's easy to do the post game interview when you're the winning team, right? Uh, exactly. It's very hard to break down. Yeah, you know, it's it's really difficult. I mean, it's hard to you know, it's hard not to take it personally. Uh, yes. And by the way, all this hard work, and you had this expected outcome, and it didn't come. Yeah. And, and so I think one of the, one of the great coaching lessons for everyone is, you know, you don't always get what you want, 
somehow you, you just have to focus on the process. I mean, what, what did I do? Well, what did I not do? Well, regardless of whether you, you know, you got printed or not, or won the game or, you know, every coach that I've ever talked to has always told me it's, it's a lot easier to correct mistakes when we lose. Yes. Than it is when we win. Well, I find that true as well. I think I've always learned more from my mistakes than from my successes. And you touched on something that I think is very key, uh, taking this personally. And you're absolutely right. You should take it personally if you don't get quoted in an article when you spent time engaging on a certain topic and you should want to improve and figure out why it is that you didn't get in the piece. And that's any good PR team is going to help you get to the bottom of that and get better the next time out. And we are coaches and counselors, and we do have a process around everything that we do. And even if you follow every process to the letter, you're not guaranteed an outcome, right? But that's the, that's the point. And I think one of the things that's, that any good PR practitioner or any good client of a PR agency who goes out there should do is you should be taking this personally. When a client of ours does not feature in a story that we spent time preparing for and preparing our client for, we get frustrated. We get upset. So as your PR agents, we're, that bothers us as much as it bothers our clients. And so we are determined to make sure that our next effort is better, that we improve upon it. When we succeed and we have a client on TV, we have a client who gets a feature story, a quote, and a great article, we get really fired up and really excited about it. We teach our PR team at Street Cred to take this personally. If you do not take PR personally, if you're not 100% engaged, you're not going to get the best results. How could you? You're telling your story. You got to get passionate about it. You have to love what you do. You have to want to bring your knowledge out into the world. If that emotion, if that, if you're not fired up about that, if you're not excited about that, you go do something else. Go buy an ad in any publication. <laughs> you can control it all, and it's very safe, and you'll get the result that you want, guaranteed. <laughs> guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it seems like we, we live in kind of a, a content crazed world, but there's fewer and fewer media resources that, that spread over the landscape. I mean, do you agree with that assessment? And if so, how does that kind of change in landscape? How does that guide your service model moving forward? I disagree. I actually think there are more opportunities and more media outlets and of all different shapes and sizes, and they're sprouting up constantly. Um, you know, just look at what we're doing right here, your podcast, right? This is, this is a media outlet, okay? Like you, you're building this podcast up and the credibility of this podcast and yourself as a fantastic advisor has got his own podcast. Um, you're engaging in a media capacity with the industry, right? So look at all the podcasts that are out there too. Um, you know, you can, you can look at them as just the same way that you would look at a broadcast media outlet, right? Now everyone has a different level of reach. You know, you're not gonna have the same reach as, you know, CNBC or TD Ameritrade Network, right? But you still have reach, you still have listeners, and you're still engaging an audience and bringing guests on to share their stories and share some information with your audience. So we look at the entire landscape. We look at the publications that have been around forever, that are forced to adapt and change to the digital world, get more involved in social, um, hold events. Events are back in the post-pandemic world. Media outlets are starting to hold these events. Wealth Management Edge is going on right now. 
Um, Investment News is putting events on again. You know, I kind of thought I'd be uh, talking to you directly from Florida, but uh... <laughs> now I traveled all April, and I am I'm uh, I'm getting up there, James. So I, I have a younger, faster team at Wealth Management Edge this week, <laughs> led by uh, Emma Smith, who's an outstanding PR practitioner here at StreetCred. Um, but yeah, it's you know the media landscape is evolving. Our job is to keep tabs on it figure out who has influence, who has a voice, what's their share of voice, what's their market share, what's their mind share, and make sure that our clients have a very diverse basket of media coverage. And literally, we call it building a media profile. So how are we going to start putting the bricks and the foundation into that media profile on day one, and then building it up incrementally over time, making sure that you have a diverse array of coverage in many different publications of all types. Um, again, those that have been around a while, those that have not, and then there's the gray zone of you know the podcast arena, um, you know, which is effectively a form of journalism. The difference is, you know, a journalist who goes to journalism school has to follow a set of rules and adhere to a certain ethos and set of standards, sort of a code of conduct, and many others do not. Uh, but our job is to help our clients navigate that landscape effectively and succeed. If they choose to accept a media opportunity, our job is to prepare them for success no matter what the outlet is. And, and so given that, what, what makes a firm ready to truly utilize a, a firm like StreetCred? Well, what we say to folks who come in and, and look to utilize us is, you know, is your marketing right, number one? Do you have a, a squared away website? Do you have uh, a good social media base? Are you on social? Um, do you have a good solid news pipe? Do you have the bandwidth for this? Are you able to share what's in your brain with the world? Obviously, we're going to help you to do that. We take your intellectual capital, put it on the page, help to get it published, um, set up interviews. But you know, PR is it's a two-way street. It's time consuming. You can't just hire a PR agency and then go back to what you were doing and hope that media coverage is going to fall from the sky. That is not how it works. You give us the ingredients we need to go out in the field and tell your story and pitch you as a credible expert source. And we're going to do that. And we're going to do it consistently, repeatedly every single week. But when we do come back after we go out into the media forest and, and gather the goods and bring them back to camp, you have to be ready to engage and to take the time to do this the right way. So it takes time. Um, it takes a strong news pipe. Um, you know, street cred represents brands and individuals as a subset of those brands. So you have to have a brand that's ready to get out there with a strong message consistently. Many different mediums make yourself available to a whole bunch of reporters. Um, and then, you know, take advantage of all the opportunities that come your way. And Again, it is. It takes a lot of input to get the right output. Uh, firms that work most effectively with us have usually they have an internal marketing unit, um, or they have a specific area that they want to focus on, and they have interesting news and innovation and things that are going on in their world that are relevant to that area of focus that we can help them with. Uh, we've launched companies into the industry. And we also work with very well-established companies that have been in the industry a long time doing things the right way. So in, in finance, we love to put things in equations. So I would go 
you have to have a powerful, compelling story. You have to add to that some consistent content that's available and accessible. And you have to add to that a lot of patience, right? That seems to be the baseline. Uh, but the best firms seem to be able to surge based on momentum. I noticed you use the term momentum a lot in your uh, in everything that you do, you know, being able to not only measure momentum, but once you find it, to be able to seize on it. Uh, is that is that right? And how important is that? It's absolutely critical. Um, so at StreetCred, our PR team is working on behalf of our clients. We have actually three PR teams and we have a content team. So our teams are working for clients every day, every week, consistently looking to keep them engaged with the media. And they're not just hitting one note on the keyboard. So it's always great if you have a robust news pipeline, but not all of our clients have a robust news pipeline. Some have news that they, you know, they're lucky to have something to push out once a quarter and that's fine. But if they're, if they're not pushing out news consistently and it's not interesting, compelling news that is going to get them the attention of the press, what else can we be doing in parallel to get them out there? Um, is there thought leadership? Are they, can we get them on live national television? Uh, are they interested in participating in podcasts? Are they going to events around the industry? Like we talked about Edge earlier. So Streaker is a team of three there. What are they doing at Edge? They're running around with our clients, trying to get as, most, as much media coverage and attention for those clients as they possibly can at that event. They're we're watching our clients on stage. They're doing social promotion of our clients as they're on stage, highlighting what they're doing using the hashtag of the conference as we would do at any event and making sure that we are maximizing the opportunity that our clients have when they decide to go out into the industry in the field and participate somewhere. Um, so that's really it in a nutshell. And so how much are you guys involved in shaping the message? We're, we're as involved uh, as our clients want us to be, but I would also say that we are not shy at giving our opinions. So when we first start working with a client, um, you know, and this varies agency to agency, some agencies like to take a client on and then, you know, fiddle around for six to eight weeks trying to figure out what the messaging is before they go out and do anything in the media. And that's not you guys, is it? <laughs> no. No, um, and that's not because we don't value messaging, uh, but we take a great deal of pride in financial public relations is all we do. And our leadership team combined has well of a hundred years experience of doing financial PR. So we know this industry backwards and forwards. We speak the language, we're fluent in it. Um, we've just been out there and it, we, we are part of the fabric of this industry. So when we take a client on, number one, we won't accept a new client unless we do understand their value prop and what they want to do in terms of their public relations program in the industry. What, what are their objectives, right? If we understand that and we understand the client and what they're, the value and the service they're actually providing, that's step one. We learn that before they even walk in the door. Then they come in the door. We have a kickoff meeting with a whole big PR team. That's usually about six to eight team members strong. It comes to the initial kickoff meeting. We sit down with our clients. Then again, we review with them what we think their message and their value prop is. They offer us refinement and some tweaks to that. 
Everybody good? Everybody on the same page? Okay, let's go out and start generating some opportunities, but not before we do media training with our clients as well. And my partner, Jimmy, best media trainer I've ever seen. Uh, He puts every client through a pretty rigorous hour, hour and a half long media training where we review their key messages in the media training and we give them an opportunity to say them out loud, talk about the key messages, test them out, see how they feel. Everybody good? PR 101, do's and don'ts. All right. There's that that repetition component to go back to the 10 commandments, right? You've got to be able to nail your value prop and Exactly. Do it in a compelling, concise fashion over and over and over again, right? That's exactly right. And and furthermore, when it doesn't just, you know, media training isn't one off and then you go out and everything's perfect and you're always going to do great. Again, it's about analysis, improvement, uh, briefing. So every single client for every interview gets a briefing sheet before they engage with a journalist. There's a PR agent on every call, every interview with every one of our clients at all times. Um, you know, we're, we're there side by side on the front lines with our clients every single day. Uh, that's where we like to live. And, you know, that's the only way we know how to do it. If we are an extension of your brand and an extension of your team. And by the way, if you're going to hire a PR agency, you should have a level of trust that that agency and those representatives of the agency who are going out into the field understand you and your message and can articulate that properly when they speak to the press. Otherwise, you might want to rethink who you've hired. Um, If you don't have that level of confidence and trust in your PR folks, maybe it's time to make a switch. Well, and you've got really different organizations. I mean, I could imagine working with Potomac. uh, You might be have to dial them back occasionally. I mean, if if I had to guess. (laughs) Uh, And then there there may be some other, you know, more traditional people that you're working with that you have to kind of push them forward a little bit and say, Hey, you know, could you, could you tell this story a little more, you know, with a little more zest? Is that, is that something that once the client comes in and you understand the narrative, that's, that's really kind of the knob that you're, that you're really focusing on? A hundred percent. So it's, it's understanding the narrative and then allowing your clients to thrive in situations in the public relations realm that are best suited to them. So we have clients that, you know, you put them in front of a a live camera on, put them on CNBC, right? On a live show on national television and they are in their comfort zone. Uh, They love it. They love the bright lights. They're so, they're happy as a clam. Uh, They're thinking, okay, how can I riff with this anchor on any topic? Just ask me anything. I'm good. (laughs) Right. And then you've got, uh, and then you put an assignment in front of them like, okay, we, need to extract information from you so that we can help you to create an article on X. And then you don't hear from them for weeks and they just can't carve out the time to put pen to paper, or even to get it like bullet points down on the page to help write an article. Um, so everyone's got their strengths and their weaknesses. We try to get everyone on, a, on the same baseline of competence as far as the various PR levers are concerned. When we've achieved that, then again, it's like anything else in life. It's about personalities and who you click with, who you don't. Uh, journalists, again, like we talked about at the top, they're, every single reporter is a unique human being, period. They're all different. And 
again, that goes back to that point of like, talk to the same journalist on the same day, two different times a day, you can have a different experience. So now you're talking to a whole bunch of different reporters at various publications who have various priorities. Some have a digital TV component, some are only print, some write one article a day, others write 10 articles a day. So it's always going to vary. And our job is to navigate this landscape for our clients. If we see a client that's getting overly aggressive, trying to go after competitors, trying to do anything that's, you know, we think probably not a best practice, you know, we'll, we'll say something, we will speak up. And that is our job to offer our opinion. You don't hire a PR firm or any professional representation if you don't want their opinion. You don't always have to follow our opinion, but we're certainly going to give it to you. If we have other clients who are struggling in any area of public relations, we're going to do everything humanly possible to help them to unstick themselves and to get out there and make some good things happen. Um, so again, you know, we bring them on initially and a lot, I'd say nine times out of 10, we, we know as our clients are on the way in the door that they are a good fit for us and vice versa. Uh, but we play this game a little bit differently, I'd like to think, than other agencies. Uh, we do play, we run fast. Our PR team works harder than any team I've ever seen. Um, and that's not just a gratuitous plug. Like I've seen a lot of agencies over my career. And I will tell you that the street grid team genuinely loves what they do. Uh, they, and, and in my opinion, you have to. Uh, to be yeah, and really just in the last couple months, I mean, you've had clients that have celebrated achievement milestones in, in really creative ways. I'm not going to name names here, but you, you already know who I'm talking about. Yeah. They've undergone a complete rebranding and maybe in some cases have announced a key departure, like a key change to the, the executive suite. Right. Exactly. Uh, I don't even have to tell you those names and you already know who they are. Right. Exactly. How do these things rev up? Uh, around these events, how do they kind of weave into your overall PR and how much advance notice do you have? I mean, does, were, were you sitting on the, the nitrogen name for, uh, you know, a couple of months, you know, with, with, with Aaron calling you every other day going, Hey, yeah, be careful with that. Or I mean, when do they let you in on it? I mean, on these big strategic things, how, how quickly do you know? Well, a uh, couple of months. Uh, no, it was we was more than that. I mean, we were we were in on it. So first of all, every single agreement that we sign with every client has an NDA in it. Uh, we'll even sign a separate one with clients if they want us to. Confidentiality is of absolute paramount importance in what we do. Uh, our own team signs agreements when they're on their way in the door to work at Street Cred. You have to sign off that you will keep client information secure. Um, you know, if you ever leave, we don't want anyone to leave street cred, but if you ever do, like you cannot take anything with you and you're beholden to the agreement that you sign. So it is of absolute paramount importance. We need to earn our clients trust and we earn the reporters trust as well. Right. So th this all has to be in balance. Um, we typically find out about things, um, well in advance of when they're going to drop, um, you know, the, the nitrogen announcements that you referenced, I would say we probably knew about six months in advance that that was going to happen. And I will say, like, you know, love Aaron to death, but he gave me hives. They were going out and <laughs> they were briefing key centers of influence in the industry on this weeks in advance. Um, the, the trust tree kept expanding in terms of who knew the actual name. 
Yeah, um, I, I think I, it got to like 128 at one point. I was like, oh my God, how do you keep that a secret? No, well, I mean, I'm, I have a Navy background and we have a saying, loose lips sink ships, right? So I was absolutely certain that someone was going to leak this like probably a week before we dropped the news. And Aaron even started teasing it at the Fearless Summit back in October of last year. Reporters were there. They had already keyed in that this was happening. You know they have their ear to the ground. The fact that nobody let this slip in advance is astounding to me, And it's, but it's awesome. And it's great. We were prepared, by the way, for it to go early. We had everything set and ready to go. If there was a leak and this broke and we lost control of the timeline, we were prepared for that. And you have to be. like That's just good, best PR practices. Always prepare for the scenario that you don't want to happen, but be ready for it in case it does. If a reporter breaks an embargo, they run with a story early, you got to be ready um, any number of things can happen where you've got to have your ducks in a row in advance. Uh, the other big announcement uh, that I know that you're referencing is uh, the Orion announcement about Eric. Uh, we learned about that. Uh, we dropped that news on well, yesterday, actually, and we yeah. learned we learned about it. The PR team learned about it. They had talked about it internally, but they brought the PR team in uh, last Thursday. So. You know, there was a very short window for us there, um, but they have an exceptional internal comms team uh, run by Becky Nia, who's their EVP of comms. She's amazing. And we work hand in hand with their communications team. So another thing we pride ourselves on here is we activate very quickly. You want to give us six months notice? Great. Um, We'll have a process in place. We'll have everything squared away well in advance. You give us three days, Okay, maybe not optimal, but guess what? We have enough PR firepower at StreetCred and enough talent here that we can activate at a moment's notice with skill, and we're very nimble, and we can get the job done. Even after we have to work over a weekend, that is what we're going to do until we complete the task. Well, that, that's quite a bit of pressure to be, uh, you know, you know, required to be awesome on short notice and required to be, you know, the ultimate gatekeeper in longer periods of time. Yeah, I know at the Jolt Conference, uh, you opened up a little bit about the challenges and the anxiety and the self-doubt that comes along with, uh, you know, with what we do. Yep. Uh, can you share a little bit of that, uh, of that with us? Absolutely. Yeah. So, look, this is a high-stress profession, okay? Like, if you want to go into PR as, as your profession, it's intense, and you have to be prepared for that. Um, we take care of our PR team. We do everything we can to keep them in balance, uh, give them ample time away. Um, everybody works remotely. You know, get your head right. And when you come to play, when you come to step out on the field, be ready. Um, have the right mindset and know that you're supported by your team. And that's the environment that we're focused on. And we want an environment where our PR people can take pride in what they do. They can take this personally but they also know that they're highly respected and revered by not just the founders of the company, but also their teammates. This is a PR agency built by actual PR practitioners who love what they do, but it's high stress. Uh, When I started my first agency, it was in 2012, it was FICOM, as you mentioned them earlier. Uh, My my mother in 2010 uh, started showing some serious signs of dementia and we couldn't figure it out for years. We just, we thought it might be alcoholism. We thought it was, you know, a midlife crisis at one point. We didn't know what was going on, but early onset frontotemporal dementia or FTD 
is an excruciating uh, form of dementia that takes root early in one's life, much earlier than you would expect is like Alzheimer's later in life. Um, but this started really affecting her and her decline started, we started noticing it in 2010. I started FICAM in 2012. So this was right where it was like manifesting itself into a major problem. Uh, and then this was an undercurrent of my entire time at FICOM. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because I look back when I was in meetings, it'd be in serious meetings at Cognito, the agency that I was at prior to FICOM, I'd go into a boardroom and I would start doing something as simple as it would be four people in the room. I'd be sitting there and my boss at the time, uh, Tom would go, uh, Jason, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little about, about who you are and you know why we're here. And I would start to talk and then like I could feel my heart beating in my ears and it felt like it was going to shoot across the room and, you know, pass through the guy on the other side of the table. It was beating so hard. I could barely get the words out. You know, I was struggling for breath. I was struggling to take a breath and take air. I would speak until the point where all the words would go out, but I had forgotten to take a breath in. So I like would just exhaust my air supply and then be like, <gasps> and then keep going and I just grinded it out and I just figured, okay, that was weird. And I remember coming out of a meeting with, with him, that specific meeting and saying to him, like, Tom, did you notice anything weird about me in there? Like how, how nuts was that? Like, I just had like a full blown panic attack in that meeting. And he was like, no, I didn't, I didn't notice anything. You seemed fine to me. Everything was not fine. So I, I was in my own head. Um, and then it sort of just kept getting worse. Like I would, I would go, we would be asked to speak a lot. Um, so we would go speak. Oh, so I think we spoke at a, there was a Pershing event. Uh, I forget if it was Insight. There was one of their smaller regional events. But uh, my business partner, uh, Megan, and I went to speak at this event. We get on stage and she crushed it as usual. She's an exceptional public speaker. I was a, an abject disaster. Like I was, I remember I was shaking. I couldn't figure out if I wanted to look at the slides that were behind me while I was talking to the audience or if I could just wing it. I felt like if I turned around to look at the slides, I would lose my train of thought and then I would be, it would be disastrous. It didn't really matter because either way it was an utter disaster. And I could tell that the whole room felt sorry for me. You know, like you're in a situation where like you're looking out there and I could feel people looking at me like, even uncomfortably like looking at their phones or trying to do pretend like they're doing anything else rather than look at the awkward jackass that's on stage. And I came away from that just like, ah, oh, this is, this is terrible. What is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? For years, this went on all through my time at FICOM, uh, past my time at FICOM into when I joined integrated partners after that, um, just putting myself out in any type of public way in a public format was terrifying and I couldn't figure it out. So uh, I said this on stage at Jolt. I, I finally, I came across a, a bunch of posts by Penny Phillips that was talking about this exact thing, anxiety, stress, um, dealing with you know, your mental health and getting yourself right. Uh, it really struck a chord with me. And I reached out to her. We had a great conversation. She gave me some fantastic advice. I went and I got professional help. And uh, it just changed everything. It's, I can't even tell you, this was like a year ago. I mean, so believe it or not, from 2010 all the way up into 2022, 
I had been letting this go. I'd dealing with this and just completely, I would deal with it. I would be so disappointed in myself, like so utterly ashamed that I I was so terrible on stage that like, what I was like, what happened, what happened to me? I used to be good at speaking. I used to be skilled. I could get up and I could speak very eloquently in college, like various work capacities, never had a problem. All of a sudden, 12 years, it's, it's just an utter disaster. So finally got the help I need. And it's just, it's been life-changing. It has been. So, you know, for, I would imagine, imagine kind of dreading what you're doing for 12 years. I mean, I love what I do. I've never not loved PR work. Um, but you know, I, I would, I would, would terrorize me to have to go up in front of anyone and talk about that work or explain to them how it worked or what it was or what, you know, even sales meetings, even internal meetings with my own team that, that have come on to work with me, that we hired to work at my company. Um, I would just feel like an imposter and, you know, like I didn't deserve to be there. Um, so all this stuff just compounded and compounded and compounded. And then finally, I cannot explain enough what a relief it was to finally get the, the right counsel and then the right professional help and then put that in the rear view. I mean, look, it's still there, right? Like, but it's, yeah, a- I mean, I, I would imagine it's more of a work in progress than a mission accomplished thing, but, uh, yeah, it always was, it, was, it, was it helpful to have somebody like Penny who, who had that connection to the industry before you reached out, uh, you know, for the therapeutic advice? I mean, what was it about your connection with her that, that made you take the next step? Well, it was just how authentic and open she was about it. I think that's what makes Penny special. Um, and everyone like Penny who's willing to share their experiences in that capacity. And, um, you know, I finally got the, finally found the guts to be able to do it a couple of weeks ago, um, at, at Joel's on stage for the first time talking about this. I just felt, you know, first of all, it's mental health awareness month in May. Um, and this was the first time that I had been on a stage presenting since I had gone and gotten the counsel and the, the help that I needed. So it was a big, big step. And I was, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, even though I had myself squared away and I was ready to moderate that panel, my palms were sweating and i yeah, the anxiety was still there wasn't it uh, we could tell it was, it was, uh, it was i was happy to be there in the audience and it was uh, it was super powerful it was uh, yeah i mean it was the anxiety was still there i i beat it on that occasion it's an ongoing battle but i did i did beat it in that instance uh, but it was not easy i remember walking walking out on the stage i'm like i hope i don't screw this up you know i hope this is i hope things have gotten better um, fingers crossed, let's go. I, I took comfort in the fact that I had <laughs> some good friends on the panel with me. It's always easier. I have my my longtime friend, Jimmy Moog, my business partner is on there with me. Um, there was Sally Cates from Dynasty was on there. She's amazing. And Vance Boris is a great advisor, um, was on there as well. Um, it's hard not to feel a little more comfortable with Vance there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind yeah, of that, that lineup, I mean, it was a, it was, it was a pretty... <laughs> it was a pretty easy task to moderate that crew uh, cause they're fantastic, but yeah, it was, it was important. And just, you know, I'm hopeful that what Penny did for me, if I can do that for anyone else, I would be happy to speak to anyone and give them some good advice, hopefully good advice about what they might be able to do for themselves. Well, and I, and I think just to, in talking to the people in the industry, they, they have to understand that it's not just a, 
a presentation anxiety. I mean, there's, there are different things that, you know, if you're a financial planner and you're really close to the families you're working with and they experience a loss or a death or a disability or, uh, you know, you take these things with you. I mean, I, I remember uh, 2008 just you know, getting to the office some mornings and just not being able to get out of my car, you know, because, you know, all of the negative stuff that was going on and you're, and you just worked 12 hours the day before and everything you did didn't seem to matter. And the world changed again. And it was, it was just a really difficult, you know, thing. And, you know, it's, it's hard to get through that without some level of depression setting in. It's hard to get through that without some level of imposter syndrome creeping in, you know, who, who am I to, who am I to guide you through this maelstrom? You know, it, it's just, it's really hard. And, you know, I think for all of us, regardless of what it is that triggers our anxiety or regardless of what it is that, you know, we struggle with, whether we're self-medicating, whether we're avoiding, whether we're you know, not connecting at home while we're giving all of our efforts to the office. I mean, th those are all things that just, you know, they actually happen and, you know, they're actual causes to the career. And I think there's some, in some cases we get the, you know, we get that opinion that God, this is really easy for you, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you have a, you have a really good presentation or a really good pitch. And I, I just, I hate that so much. It's like, God, this is really easy for you. Isn't it? This, this podcast thing, it just, it's just natural for you, isn't it? And and they don't see the five pages of notes or the, you know, four days that you spent, you know, trying to have a 45 minute conversation with somebody and have it come out normal. And they don't see all the anxiety and everything like that. And you kind of want them to because you want the credit for it, but you also don't want them to. And so, you know, having somebody who's had the success that you've had uh, come out and just really be that open about your anxiety and your failings and your insecurities, I think is so helpful. Uh, and that's, I'm, I'm sitting in the audience going, man, I got to have this guy on the podcast because it's, it's one thing to be successful, uh, but it's one, it's another thing entirely to do what you did. And I, I thought that was so, so brave and so helpful, whether people reach out to you or not. Uh, it was easily, and, and, and you were at Jolt. I mean, that's the, you know, that's the, that's the Mecca of everybody who does marketing right in our business. Right. And your little five minute segment was the thing I'll remember most. Well, thank you, James. That means a lot. And, um, you know, again, if I can help anyone in the industry <clears throat> figure some stuff out, I am happy to have a conversation. I, you know, I recall when I filled out the, the paperwork and talking to, so I'm going to, I don't even know if this is like a psychologist or a psychiatrist, <laughs> but uh, whoever the, the guy was that I was talking to, uh, he made me fill out all these, you know, these forms about, like take a, take the survey to tell me whether or not you're depressed, you're anxious, you you know, blah, blah, blah. And I filled them all out. And I remember I, I scored like a 19 out of 21 on the anxiety sheet. And I just kept looking at it like, really? Wow. I'm like, I had no idea that that was 
how bad which it was. two points did i miss <laughs> <laughs> i have to go back and look at that sheet and figure out where i'm good and then you know <laughs> get some comfort in that <laughs> the only guy that beat you was too anxious to do, to do the survey right so. yeah exactly exactly <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's important stuff, and uh, far too many people grapple with this. Look, I did for twelve years, and then you know, and I know it's it's debilitating. It it limits you. It holds you back from whatever you're doing. Um, you know, it it just creates this, you know, this cloud that is constantly there, and this uh, underlying fear of doing various things that you can free yourself of if you get the right help. And like we said during the intro, whether you're struggling to take your business to the next level or you're just struggling personally, uh, it wouldn't be a bad idea to listen to Jason Lajita. So thank you so much for joining us, and we appreciate having you. Thanks a lot, James. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. And that's a wrap for this episode of A Voice from the Hills podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And for access to this episode and all prior episodes, you can subscribe to A Voice from the Hills on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcast. You could follow A Voice from the Hills and Silicon Hills Wealth Management on social media to gain access to all of our content. And we've also rolled out a new mini pod called The Stream. The Stream is going to highlight timely updates and information and introduce important ideas and concepts in short but impactful three-minute micropods. You can subscribe separately to The Stream on all podcast platforms, and you can access The Stream through any Alexa-enabled device by simply asking Alexa to play the latest update from Silicon Hills Wealth. If you'd like to learn more about Silicon Hills Wealth and the services we offer, please visit our website. And as always, we cannot thank you enough for engaging with us. We can only do our best work when you are here to listen.